0: Good afternoon and welcome to the uh, October 7th edition of the Global News Review. I'm Patrick Ryan, President of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. and I'm joined today by Ambassador Dick Bowers. Hey, Dick, how are you doing? Doing fine, Pat. Hope you are the same. Yep, all well here. We're, uh, we're without Dr. Breck Walker today, but yep. uh, I, I think, Dick, you and I can uh, carry the load here.
1: Well, we'll give it a shot. Right? It's a beautiful day outside, so when we finish this, I'm going to go out and play a little bit, but socially a beautiful distance, day, have a beautiful day
0: in the, A beautiful day in the neighborhood. That's a different show, I think.
1: That's uh, one of my favorite guns.
0: <laughs> All right, well, let's jump right into it. We'll start out with uh, the qu- quiz question. You're going to read topics, I'll I'll take care of, uh, of Breck's uh, quiz question today. Um, no uh, unusual names to, uh, to pronounce. Uh, the Interior Minister of this country is taking a hard line on asylum seekers uh, arriving illegally, uh, saying that the system is broken. And we'll get the, uh, the question up here for, uh, for everyone to uh, take a look at. Um, so that uh, we're looking for uh, the, that country and the, uh, the interior minister says that uh, uh, the system is broken and the government is uh, under fire uh, at the same time, over reports, it was reviewing plans to house asylum seekers on idle offshore oil platforms, building floating seawalls or sending them to detention sites in Moldova or Papua New Guinea. And the uh, options are A, Turkey, B, Greece, C, France, or D, the United Kingdom. So of those uh, countries, which uh, which country is currently currently uh, concerning itself with uh, the immigration question. And Dick, I'm going to uh, jump back to uh, the topics for today, and uh, there you go.
1: Okay, but just for the record, I want you to know I missed that question when I took the quiz, so.
0: Ah. Uh,
1: anyway, moving right along. Today's topics, uh, October 7, 2020, we've got U.S. commitment in Iraq. We're going to talk a little bit about withdrawal of U.S. troops and what it means and how far down we're going and what happens there. And then QAnon, an American phenomenon, goes global. It is uh, in the social networks in a lot of different countries, kind of create a lot of havoc in a lot of people's minds. And number three, the uh, Pentagon leaders in COVID. So we've got our high command quarantine. Who's in charge? What's that mean for our nation's security? Those are our three all topics, Pat.
0: All right. So you, uh, you've taken the quiz. You're a regular quiz taker. Was that the only one you missed? Uh, I missed one more. I had okay. eight out of ten, so you know they oh, must I know, have been...
1: the the, the, the uh, death of uh, a leader in the Middle East, the Kuwaiti emir.
0: Ah, okay, well, I hope you didn't give it away there, but uh, oh. you know that that used to be uh, perhaps an easier quiz because you were you were acing it all the time and and others were so well, you you, just... you
1: put that together, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I do with um, is the uh, partnership of Dr. Debbie Bernard in, at Tennessee Tech. She's um, yeah. our alternate uh, quiz master, and you know it's it's available every every Monday for people who subscribe to our email. You get the quiz, you take the quiz. If you uh, score high enough, you're a weekly winner at the end of the month. Um, from among the weekly winners, we choose uh, a monthly winner who gets uh, a nice prize, uh, usually a book or something, and uh, that's uh, that's how that works. So uh, sign up for the newsletter, and uh, you'll get the quiz. Take the do you, quiz.
1: Do you know what the prize is this week? Uh, we uh,
0: we just gave away oh, a copy of the uh, the book by General Allen. Um, okay. It was called uh, Thinking Ahead. Uh, General Allen is the uh, president of the Brookings Institution, yeah. and he will be uh, our guest. For those who uh, missed the the preview panel, he will be our guest in. Uh, a little bit on America's Place in the World with uh, Jessica Matthews. And uh, they are speaking on the 15th with uh, Dr. Tom Schwartz. And then we have another uh, America's Place in the World coming up later in the month. But I, I won't uh, bog us down with that. We have- Well, you know, I just let me,
1: let me throw out add a attaboy to uh, Tom, Professor Tom Schwartz uh, and in his book on Kissinger, because I, I'm a regular reader of the Christian Science Monitor magazine. Uh, back in the 1960s, I started regularly reading the Christian Science Modern newspaper because it was the best international newspaper about what's going on in the world, and it yep. evolved into a magazine, and so the magazine is still there, and it still has a lot of, uh, it focuses internationally on what's going on in the world, and they had a book review, and they talked about Professor Schwartz's book, so they gave it good marks.
0: Good, good. Well, it, it's a terrific book uh, about Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger, an American Power, uh, a political biography, I think is the full title of it. And, yeah. and uh, that's available on Amazon.com and the recommended recommend reading from you and I. So let's uh, jump into uh, what's going on in Iraq, uh, Dick. And um, it's. Oh. Uh,
1: The U.S. military is drawn down, and uh, they they made a statement that they they the drawdown from about 5,200 to fewer than 3,000 troops in Iraq. And uh, the Marine General Kenneth McKenzie Jr., who's uh, the head of uh, U.S. Central Command, announced on September 9 that the reduction in U.S. forces in Iraq was expected to be completed by the end of the month. And this reduced footprint. should allow, according to the military authorities, us to continue advising and assisting our Iraqi partners in rooting out the final remnants of ISIS in Iraq and ensuring its enduring enduring defeat. So decision is due to the confidence in the Iraqi security forces increased capabilities to operate independently, says General McKenzie Jr. So uh, oh, yeah.
0: you you know we had um, we had drawn down after the uh, insurgency and then with ISIS yeah. uh, establishing a caliphate and marching on Baghdad, it was necessary to beef up our our troops there, and I believe the uh, the project was called Operation Inherent Resolve uh, to fight back the uh, uh, the ISIS elements that had taken over large swaths of of uh, Iraq and had uh, threatened the Kurds in the north and, and the yeah. central government in Baghdad. And uh, that's, that's been several years of, of uh, pretty intense fighting in, in across Iraq and Syria. So now the, the drawdown is, is tied to that. Um, but we're also concerned about the, the relationship between Iraq and Iran and uh, the attacks that uh, have been taking place against uh, American forces at uh, at various bases around the country and uh Dick I know you remember back in January when the United States uh, killed uh, Qasem Soleimani yep. the uh the general in charge of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps um, at the uh, at the airport in Baghdad with a, a a Reaper drone attack uh that resulted in Iran firing uh long range uh heavy ballistic missiles against the uh, uh, bases in uh, in northern Iraq, and uh, we, including uh, Taji,
1: which you had on your map there, right? That's where yeah. the, the Americans three three Americans were wounded there, right? And and several and two two were killed, I think.
0: Yeah, that that was a separate attack. The attack uh, on, in January, in response to Qasem Soleimani, uh, was uh, a a ballistic missile attack. As opposed to these rocket attacks. How many uh, how many
1: bases do we now have? I, I think we're down to three.
0: Yeah, uh, there's some outposts, but uh, people are are loading up, and and you can see on the screen here the result of the attack in January. Again, this was a, a response from Iran, um, right. and and frequently Iran will conduct an operation in which they don't want their fingerprints on it either using militia or proxies, or in the case of the attack uh, against the Abqaiq uh, oil refinery in, in Saudi Arabia, uh, there were drones and uh, cruise missiles that uh, no, you know, no one has attributed uh, where those came from. Uh, some people said it was the, uh, the Houthis in Yemen that, that launched the attack, but it was probably Iran. Uh, but in the case of this attack at Al-Assad, and uh, uh, other facilities in northern Iraq, and you can see where the, uh, the missiles, imp- the uh, long range missiles impacted. Yeah. Um, at the time, the Pentagon said no Americans were, were injured, but it turns out that 110, 110 of them uh, were in fact injured, some with uh, uh, traumatic brain injuries. Uh, 50 of them received Purple Hearts uh, for the action. A couple of guys were blown out of a guard post so this was a, a significant attack uh, for which uh, the United States has not yet publicly responded. Uh, we don't know what might might have gone on in the diplomatic world or the cyberspace world, uh, but uh, it really uh, is is kind of an unanswered uh, um, shot across our bow. There was also um, an attack, and and these are are attacks that uh, have concerned American. Uh, officials was the attack earlier than that uh, rocket attack um, against the uh, the US embassy. And yeah. there were a couple of days where uh, militias, the uh, Popular Mobilization Force militias, among others, uh, backed by uh, Iran, uh, launched attacks and, and uh, uh, moved against the US embassy. And, and, and Dick, you, you might be able to categorize what that embassy is like. It's it's uh, really a it's, fortress-like. It's the largest U.S. embassy yes. abroad, I, I believe. Yeah,
1: it's huge. And, and you know, it basically it took over uh, Saddam's policies, a, a huge one, and added to it. And it's got an external perimeter. Now, under international law, uh, for diplomatic premises, the external security perimeter, so... Usually, you'll have a building, and then you'll have a fence around the building. And outside that fence, the responsibility for security is the host governments. So when these militias came up and started throwing things over the fence or basically tried to breach the perimeter, it should have been the Iraqi security forces of the government that came in and cleared those guys out. Uh, They actually did penetrate into the grounds and it was US State Department security people that were trying to get rid of them. Uh, to my knowledge, nobody was killed, but there was a lot of pushing and shoving and rocks being thrown and tear gas used and things of that sort. So right. it was kind of a breakdown between what the Iraqi government should have done. And I think my, you know, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, threatened to close the embassy and withdraw all US uh, diplomats, unless the Iraqis stepped up and did what they're supposed to do. So that's still pending, but I think uh, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, and the Iraqi government is uh, largely ineffective in reining in these uh, militia forces. Yeah. Um, So the the net effect of the 2003 invasion is that uh, Iraq is no longer a bulwark against uh, Iranian expansionism in the region. And you know that uh, that highlights the the importance the geographic position of uh, of Iraq. It's it's uh, right in the middle of uh, a region of uh, turmoil right now. There's trouble oh, yeah. uh, at, at every corner, and uh, you can see by the the position. You know, Saudi Arabia is, is dominates the Arabian Peninsula and, and occupies a, a key strategic location. As well as uh, countries that uh, are, are near choke points. But uh, Iraq is really at the center of what's going on now between Syria, Turkey, uh, Iran, uh, what's happening in, the, in Lebanon. Um, Iraq has uh, um, basically become a transit point be- from Iran to Lebanon across uh, Iraq and Syria. So you know, um, go ahead.
1: The the other thing to point point out, I mean, Iraq is, uh, they're split religiously between the Sunnis and the Shia, and and they're split ethnically with a a huge Kurdish population in the north Mm -hmm. along the Turkish and Iranian borders up there, the Kurds. And the Kurds have been major allies of ours in uh, the battles in Syria as well as against ISIS. So, you know, having a cohesive national government is, is tough. And down in the south near Kuwait is, uh, you know, sort of mostly Shia land, and uh, that's been hard. The Shia militias are a major source of, of uh, trouble, as well as most of the, the uh, Sunni and the Al-Qaeda people. So they're, they're at each other's throats a lot. So it's a major problem going on and on and on.
0: Yeah. Okay, we'll, uh we'll continue to watch what's going on in Iraq with uh, with great interest. But it is, uh, you know, a, a really um, interesting development that the US is uh, pulling out all these troops that uh, were were being used to uh, to fight ISIS. And uh, even though the caliphate is functionally uh, destroyed, there are still many, many ISIS fighters in the region, and uh, I don't think we've we've heard the last from ISIS. They didn't.
1: They didn't down their weapons and go back to their plows. Uh, they're, they're they're still out there.
0: No, and in the news today, um, uh, Dick, I don't know if you saw that uh, two um, ISIS fighters were brought to the United States to face charges. Uh, these are a couple of the guys that were referred that. to uh, as uh, the Beatles. They were involved in in murders and kidnappings, including Americans, uh, British and, uh, and many others. So uh, they were rounded up and were in detention in Iraq and they were finally uh, sent to the US for uh, for justice here. The FBI had a mm-hmm. briefing this morning. So we'll follow um, with interest what's going on with ISIS uh, in the region. All yep. right, Nick, um, it's uh, time to talk about uh, QAnon. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it would be funny. So
1: what, it would be what, funny what, if it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. So you um, got your you've got a slide up there that you know people can read, but it's it's a right wing conspiracy theory that what a cabal of Satan worshiping pedophiles running a global child sex trafficking ring and plotting against Donald Trump, who is battling against the cabal, and there'll be a day of reckoning as the storm. When thousands of members of this cabal, or it's the, you know, the deep state, will be arrested, none of this is based on fact, and none of it is true. But a lot of people somehow seem to buy into it, including a guy who believed that there was a pizza parlor in Washington D.C. which was trafficking in children and run by Hillary Clinton and that down in the basement of this pizza parlor, all this was supposed to be going on and to the point where people have taken up arms and actually killed other people because of some of these theories. It's, it's, it's yeah, incredible. Yeah, well that,
0: that, uh, that Pizzagate thing, uh, some guy uh, drove to, to Washington and showed uh, up armed and uh, shot off a couple of rounds. Nobody got hurt, but uh, that, that was really the first public notice of, of this uh, QAnon, Group and you know you, you we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, the the news peg this week is that uh, there are several stories. Um, CNN had a, a report. Uh, there's also a, a good uh, report, a good uh, account in the Bangkok Post uh, today. Uh, QAnon conspiracies go global in pandemic perfect storm, and it, it talks about the uh, influence, um, largely over social media, largely over Facebook. Facebook, uh, according to the CNN article, is uh, is working mightily to remove some of these groups. Uh, But uh, they're in the hundreds of thousands in these uh, QAnon related uh, social media groups. Um, The CNN report also talks about the activity in uh, Germany and uh, the QAnon group spreading reports about Angela Merkel being a a former East German spy and that she's part of this Deep State Network. The uh, the Bangkok Post report talks about the influence um, at anti-lockdown and anti-mask rallies uh, from Los Angeles to London, Berlin, and Melbourne with protesters warning without evidence that the pandemic is a conspiracy by a cabal of Satanist pedophiles who control the world. And uh, there, there was a, um, uh, a think tank expert, Mackenzie Hart, in london who said that in some ways the pandemic has created the perfect storm uh for conspiracy theories like QAnon on to grow so we just uh, wanted to take note that this is becoming a global phenomenon uh it's it's a destructive uh, uh virus within uh, our social media and uh and culture today uh to spread and we stories. have we
1: have people in american places there's a uh Lady who won the Republican primary in Marjorie, Georgia, who Mar- Marjorie Taylor
0: Greene is yes. a uh, candidate for the U.S. Congress from Georgia, and um, she's uh, professed to push some of, the,
1: of these QAnon nonsense QAnon. theories. Yeah. Right? yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, so it's it's one more area where uh, people need to. Uh,
1: yeah, well, people get stuck in because of uh, of the pandemic, and and they're they're spending more time online, and the social media guys have not been taking down these websites nearly fast enough, and especially now overseas. Um, I, I read somewhere about a yacht club in in northern Germany where. You know, guys have started getting involved in, in these QAnon things and, and gotten involved with some far-right neo-Nazi stuff as well as anti-Semitic things. And uh, what's going in people's minds when they're stuck inside and online and scared and looking for simple answers to complex problems is something that uh, is worrisome.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll let that story uh, uh, rest and, and move on to... Uh to our next piece, which is uh, uh, the important uh, development that a number of leaders in the Pentagon uh, have been uh, connected uh, or or in in the presence of uh, someone who was infected with COVID-19. And you can see the list there of some of these senior officers, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a number of the Joint Chiefs and uh, some of their uh, assistants and so forth. Including uh, General who, uh who is not just the head of the U.S. Cyber Command, but he's also uh, the director of the National Security Agency, and um, uh, a number of, of other uh, senior uh, officers. Dick, I, I think this is a you know a, another warning that this uh, COVID-19 virus uh, just didn't disappeared that, you know, the miracle hasn't happened yet, but, That, that uh, it was going to go away and we wouldn't be bothered by it. You know, we had it's the, uh, get worse, Pat. we had it's this get worse. so-called super spreader event at the White House. The president is infected. Uh, a number of senior staff, um, three, at least three uh, Republican senators. Um, you know, early on in the pandemic, we got up to uh, 200,000 deaths in the country. Without any, uh, you know, other than Tom Hanks early on, there, I don't think there were any notable individuals in society and, and not comparing uh, celebrities to uh, politicians or members of the administration who were in government. But uh, we really didn't see any uh, infections among people like that until this event at the White House and now at the Pentagon. So it, uh, it reminds us that uh, no one is immune from this. Uh, but what we wanted to talk about today was uh, a little bit about the uh, the military, and people are worried, well, what does this mean? Are we... Uh...
1: Before you jump to that, let me just say, that I, I believe that the, uh, I understand the Coast Guard Public Affairs Director, a guy named Admiral John Hickey, said that the person who, the, the Vice Commandant, Admiral Charles Ray, who tested positive on Monday, which caused the quarantine of the... Joint Chiefs of Staff members, uh, this particular admiral attended a gold star event at the White House on Sunday, September 27. That's one day after the White House held an event in the Rose Garden, which is now being blamed for the explosion of COVID in the White House. So at the time he went to the White House the day later, uh, the president was already ill. Although they hadn't announced it yet, so right. So uh, well, the White
0: the White House is is uh, declining to comment on when the last negative test was for uh, President Trump. So we're not quite sure, but it appears that that event um, at the White House, the announcement of the Supreme Court nominee, was yep. the uh, the principal event that has uh, really. We so what's it mean? Should
1: we uh, be worried? Our adversary is going to take advantage of us? Are we standing down or is the U.S. military ready to do its job?
0: Well, I, I think it's uh, it's of concern because the senior leaders are the ones who are uh, really directing what's going on in, in, the, in the military uh, regime. But uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, the National Command Authority and, and how uh, all these pieces fit together, and I think the first thing that I would say, uh, Dick, is that uh, these teams, whether it's the Joint chiefs of staff the uh, the heads of the military departments, uh, you know the Secretary of the Navy and the Air Force and Army and so forth, um, all of these uh, organizations uh, all are are deep and rich with uh, with talent, so if um, uh, someone is uh, moved out of uh, a position temporarily, or uh, by illness or whatever. Uh, there's a there's a, a, a really solid team behind them that steps up and and things continue without interruption. Uh, the 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 chairman and the the joint chiefs who are sidelined are uh, quarantined. They're they're not uh, reported to be ill, so they're they're in contact and uh, they probably have secure communications. From their quarantine location, and uh, I'm sure that they are staying uh, tapped into what's going on. But let's just take a, a quick look at how this works um, functionally. From the President, uh, Command Authority, if uh, the President wanted to employ military force, it goes through the National Command Authority, the NCA, which consists of the President, the Secretary of Defense, and then down to what's called the Unified Commands, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But under the Secretary of Defense, there is also the military departments, uh, the secretaries of each of the services, and the Secretary of the Navy is um, head of both the uh, Navy and the Marine Corps. And those, uh, those officers are responsible for training and equipping uh, their, relative, uh, their respective services. Uh, now, on the other side, the, the President also relies on the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, for military advice from the Chairman. And the Joint Chiefs are also responsible for plans and coordination of military operations. Uh, but it's really the, the unified command staffs that uh, conduct operations around the world. They're responsible uh, functionally for uh, the European Command, the Northern Command, Southern Command, Central Command and Pacific Command. So among those five staffs um, and the names on the, on that slide, the, the uh, leaders of those commands are, are out of date. But the, uh, the commands are the uh, the headquarters that are responsible for military operations in their respective parts of the world. Don't well, we have uh, so a space command now? That uh, space, yeah, Space Force uh, is now a, a separate um, service underneath the Secretary of Defense. Oh, okay. uh, it's it's not a it's no longer a a, a functional command. Um, But uh, let me just uh, expand on the geographic commands. For example, U.S. Central Command, which is uh, headquartered at MacDill Air Force Base in Tampa, Florida, uh, it's the only one of the commands that is not uh, headquartered in its uh, respective region of the world. Uh, Central Command is responsible for the Middle East, extending from uh, Southwest Asia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, across Iran and the Arabian Peninsula into the Horn of Africa. Uh, so what that means is that uh, military operations in that region fall underneath that, uh, that staff. Uh, likewise, the European Command, uh, Pacific Command, and so forth. Uh, the functional commands you see on the screen there are uh, elements uh, underneath the uh, Secretary of Defense that uh, support operations of the unified commands, commanders, uh, special operations, Joint Forces Command, uh, strategic Command, which is the uh, uh, the the staff that uh, handles our uh, deterrent nuclear response, and then Transportation Command, which uh, supports the ge- geographic commands with uh, uh, aviation and uh, maritime assets to move things around. So that's that's really where the, the rubber hits the road. It's it's not so much the. Uh, the Who Pentagon, does Africa? Uh, Africa, uh, it's missing from that slide. Good, good call. Uh, Since that slide, and I guess I need to find a better slide. uh, There's a new geographic command called Africa Command, or AFRICOM. And that's, uh, that's based in, uh, in Germany, the headquarters are in Germany. But uh, these commands that uh, are based um, outside of their regions have uh, uh, smaller units, Within the geographic region, for example, Central Command has a forward command base in uh, in Qatar, uh, and you hear a lot of conversation about uh, Qatar and you know our presence there. Uh, we have a very large air base and a very large headquarters there, forward headquarters. So that's uh, that's how these uh, the military uh, divides the the command and By. control.
1: As a as an aside, Pat, when I was uh, in in Bolivia as the U.S. ambassador, had a, had quite a, an extensive relationship with U.S. Southern Command right? Uh, because we were using a lot of military personnel to help train up the Bolivian armed forces and the anti-drug forces. Uh, so basically we created a anti-drug force that could take it to the narcos and that was uh, heavily involved with Southern Command. A guy named General George Jowen was uh, the guy most of the time, and then Barry McCaffrey, who ended up appearing on TV a lot, took over from him. And it's interesting how the who's in charge when a military unit is in a, 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 a particular country. And I, I, uh,
0: I feel I feel a, a, a whatever whatever the State Department equivalent of a C storey is, I feel it coming on.
1: <laughs> well well. Uh, it's you know in Germany it was pretty clear because when I was based in the in the embassy in Germany, uh, we had military forces that were under the ambassador's authority that were not under the chain of command of the of UCOM, for example, and the same thing happened. UCOM
0: L- UCOM being European command.
1: European command. The same thing. They
0: happened. all they all have uh, uh, nicknames: sentcom oh. UCOM, PACOM. Yep.
1: Yeah. And the same thing in Bolivia. So was, you know, we had a bunch of military people, some of whom their chain of command went back to the general sitting in Panama, where Southcom was located, and some of whom were the responsibility ambassador. So it, it's, it's important that we keep all those who's in charge things, uh, keep them in their mind and make sure that they work right so you don't get conflicting command, uh, ideas. So that was my C story.
0: Okay. Well, didn't you have a, a little uh, mano a mano with one?
1: No, but with McCaffrey I did.
0: McCaffrey, okay.
1: Yeah, because uh, he, well, basically there's something called country clearance. So whenever a, a member of any U.S. government entity wants to come to do something in a particular country, they need to contact the embassy and get clearance from the embassy to come and do something. McCaffrey said, well, I'm, I'm the senior military commander. I can tell my guys to go wherever I want to tell them to go. And we ended up having a little mano a mano that escalated back to the Pentagon and the State Department. And
0: so, so you told the general where he could go?
1: Uh, I told the general that uh, I have a letter from the president that says I'm responsible for all American activity and personnel in this country. And so, if you want to have somebody come in, you have to get clearance for them to do that through the embassy.
0: Okay. And
1: he he he, blustered and finally, sent me a very nice personal note saying, "I surrender. Peace."
0: <laughs> well, it's good to good to get, get the lanes in the road straightened out. Well, we we have a question, uh, Dick, from Seth uh, Emerson, who asks uh, for our thoughts on the Nagorno-Karabakh situation and the U.S. role there. And uh, we gave kind of a laydown last week of what what was going on there. Uh, But just uh, a reminder for folks who uh, might not be uh, watching the news too closely. uh, Nagorno-Karabakh is a region uh, stuck between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And... Azerbaijan, and these are countries in the Caucasus. Um, if, you, if you look at uh, your, your map, and there's Turkey, and just above it, uh, off to the northeast is Armenia, uh, and Azerbaijan, and stuck in the middle is Nagorno-Karabakh. The uh, population there is primarily Armenian, but uh, the territorial claims uh, recognized by most uh, in the international community are Azerbaijan. So they've uh, they've had battles over the years. Uh, in the 90s, there was uh, probably the most significant uh, combat between the sides, and uh, the Russians uh, helped to uh, calm that down. And then there was the formation of something called the Minsk Group, which included the United States, France, uh, Russia, and a couple of other countries. So uh, right now, the uh, the fighting has uh, escalated. Um, you know, there there has always been some back and forth but we're now seeing artillery barrages and uh, aircraft attacks and tank movements. And uh, it's really a, a significant escalation in the, uh, the back and forth. It's complicated by relationships with other countries from around the region, especially Turkey, which is aligned with Azerbaijan and uh, appears to be providing military support uh, to Azerbaijan. And there was a report of a uh, uh, Armenian uh, tactical uh, fighter shot down by a Turkish F-16 at the early days of this combat, which is, is basically about 10 days old now. Um, so that uh, that put the fingerprint on Turkey as being directly involved. There are other, uh, other countries involved. There are Syrian uh, troops that are going in to fight on uh, the side of uh, the Azerbaijanis uh, as uh, basically mercenaries being called in. Uh, Russia has uh, uh, forces in Armenia, but has not yet uh, uh, gotten themselves involved in any of the combat. They they apparently wanna maintain some level of diplomatic neutrality as a member of the Minsk Group. So what's the US role um, in the in the area? Uh, the United States is concerned about the stability and security of that region. It's, it's a key region uh, between uh, Europe and Asia. Uh, We're concerned that uh, our NATO ally, uh, Turkey, who uh, is involved in other conflicts and friction in the area, including Libya, uh, Syria, uh, contested territorial seas in the Eastern Mediterranean. So Turkey has a lot going on that the United States is concerned with and and just add Armenia, Azerbaijan and Nagorno-Karabakh to that menu. So our our interest is uh, security and stability and, and stopping the conflict. Um, it does not appear that the US State Department, uh, Dick has jumped in in a big way um, on this one. Um, it's, it seems that Washington's attention these days is uh, diverted to other things. So there hasn't been really heavy press by Washington to get involved in this, other than to issue some statements. I suspect there's uh, some diplomatic activity within the Minsk Group, uh, but they haven't really played much of a public role yet.
1: Good summary, Pat.
0: Okay. Uh, Sanam uh, Ma- uh, Mandar uh, asks, uh, reading this cold here, I am planning on taking the FOT, is that the Foreign Officers Test Dick? Uh, in January, uh, I have How not does,
1: seen that acronym before, but I assume that's what the uh, Sana is talking about.
0: Yeah, looks uh, looks like uh, the Foreign Service exam. How does the elections in November, whether Trump wins or loses, and the corona epidemic affect the Foreign Service in general? Um, Dick, I'll, I'll let you take a Point um, at that. Well, let's start with the
1: second half the first. The, how does the corona epidemic affect the foreign service in general? It affects the foreign service just as it affects us. Uh, so around the world, we've had lockdown. Uh, major difficulties overseas, for example, where imagine you're in a place that uh, has an international school and the school shuts down, or if you're especially in a place that does not have wide bandwidth for the internet, then trying to, to have schooling for the kids is very, very tough. So do you leave the diplomats at post and send the children home or not? Uh, how does that work? Uh, if you're transferred from one post to another, uh, can you actually travel and go to that post? Or when you get there, are you in quarantine for several weeks? or? Or what works. So the same sort of difficulties that are hitting an individual in, in all the different countries which have different rules maybe than the United States has regarding quarantine and lockdown and social distancing and all the things like that. So it affects the Foreign Service totally.
0: Yeah, uh, I, think, uh, I think in the case of someone taking a test in January uh knock on wood it's it's like a year-long process to get interviewed and
1: uh yeah so so, so hopefully we, we it'll would, be well that was yeah, the first would, part of the question right but,
0: yeah uh, taking the test in january so it would be somebody looking uh mm-hmm. to uh a, a session into the foreign service probably in calendar year 2023 correct 22 23 probably
1: and normally from yeah. the time you take the test until you because that's the first step in a longer process, which involves uh, written tests, security tests, oral interviews, various kinds of things. So usually it's a a couple of years from the time you take the test before you finally are appointed if you're successfully uh, navigated your way through the exam process. As to whether Trump wins or loses and what the difference that would make, the State Department has been gutted by the Trump administration. this Foreign Service is still alive, but it's uh, it really needs resuscitation and rejuvenation and renewal and if Trump wins i don 't see that happening uh, If Biden wins, I think you'll see a major push to beef up our capacity to conduct diplomacy around the world, and that means beefing back up the foreign service
0: yeah uh, you know i I was asked that question. Uh, and and we'll talk about career panel uh in just a second. But I was asked that question and, and my analogy was in the uh, in the nineteen seventies after Vietnam, the military was gutted. You know, it was a downsizing, a lot of people were disgruntled and, and left. And the uh, especially the officer corps that came in, the junior officers at that point, some of them had combat experiences, some of them in the 70s were new to the service. They built back the US military to the point where by 1990, when General Colin Powell was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who was a junior officer in the 70s when the military was, uh, was in trouble, um, they, they vowed that uh, they were gonna fix things. And I, I would think, Dick, that someone going into the Foreign Service in the next couple of years would have um, more of an impact as a junior officer, and then uh, probably more likely to move up through the ranks quicker uh, to more more levels of responsibility, having seen that the, the State Department has been hollowed out to some extent. Does,
1: I don't that, think does it's,
0: that make sense?
1: I, I, I think it's good, except I don't think it's been hollowed out to some extent. It's been hollowed out. Uh, it's a major, major departure of, of, of senior officers and, and slow intake. It's in the foreign Service is like the military. You know, you've you got to hire lieutenants today if you want generals twenty years from now, right. and the same sort of thing. If you want to have you know seasoned ambassadors, you need to get those junior officers in and working and out in the field. So, yeah, good luck on the test.
0: Yeah, I good, can help you some way. It. Let me know. Uh, yes, please do, and that that brings us uh, a great uh, segue to tomorrow night. Uh, we will have our uh, fall edition of the International Career Panel, um, and it's uh, it's a regular feature at the World Affairs Council, typically done at uh, Lipscomb University or Belmont in the spring. And uh, last year we added Tennessee Tech as a venue for the World of the uh, International Career Panel but obviously no in-person events uh, these days. So we're doing it virtually, uh, which allows us to reach many more people. Hopefully uh, you'll, uh, you'll tune in. We have a terrific panel, uh, six women from various professions, uh, national security, uh, NGOs, uh, business world, uh, and so forth. So uh, uh, join us. Uh, we're gonna have a one hour session of remarks from the panelists with Q and A and then the breakout rooms where each of the panelists uh, will talk individually with uh, folks who want to know more about their profession. So uh, check that out. Dick, I know you, uh, you've you been heavily involved in career panels in the past as uh, a State Department guy.
1: Yeah, Susan is, uh, does such a great job. I think it's well worth doing. And I think probably it's one of those things that to a certain extent, uh, the Zoom and the pandemic facilitate more people coming because you don't have to get in a car and drive somewhere. So, if you're sitting in Knoxville at UT, you can attend this just like anybody else. And I think that you yeah. guys are planning breakout rooms, right? So, sure. a- after people make their presentations, uh, you can go do one-on-one in a breakout room with the with the person of your choice. If you want to know more about, you know, how Apple works overseas versus the State Department versus. Know, some other capability, Peace Corps or something, you can go talk to that person. So, so
0: that's tomorrow it. night at 5.30 uh, p.m. Central Time, and we look forward to seeing you there. Uh, Dick, we uh, have not yet uh, done the answer to the quiz. We don't want to uh, miss that important thing. Uh, Breck would uh, would never let us uh, forget if we didn't do that. So uh the what in the world weekly quiz question again sign up for the newsletter to get this uh, 10 question quiz every monday morning in your inbox the interior minister of this country is taking a hard line on asylum seekers arriving illegally saying the system is broken meanwhile the government is under fire over reports it was reviewing plans to house asylum seekers on idle offshore oil platforms building floating seawalls or sending them to detention sites in moldova or papua new guinea and you can see the answer there is D, the United Kingdom. If you got that right, you uh, bested Ambassador Dick Bowers, who you didn't sure get did. it right on the, the quiz yesterday. And you can see on the chart there, just quickly, uh, the uh, the increase in uh, non-UK born residents uh, in the United Kingdom. And that was really uh, part of the uh, justification um, in, in many minds for, for Brexit, for, the United Kingdom uh, separating from the European. And my,
1: my British friends say, you know, if you need a plumber, you have to speak Polish.
0: Um, well, that that might be close to the truth in, in many areas. <laughs> the, uh, the the number of immigrants uh, is, yeah. is significant there. Okay, Dick. Um, thank you once again, sir, for, for joining in on the interview. Thank you, interview. sir. We will be back. Uh, Watch out for that and QAnon then.
1: stuff and remember that, uh, you know, Facebook is interested in selling your data, not necessarily in providing you a quality experience. I
0: think but it is reading, something I you think, can
1: use if you use have it you carefully. Been
0: reading, have you been reading congressional reports again? I have. Well, it's a good report out this week for people who want to. Yeah, it's find it's, out. A, it's
1: got an executive summary. I think it's about 400 or 600 pages long. It just came out, so it's available Goog- online. Google,
0: so can, Facebook, um,
1: Judiciary Committee hearings yeah. on Facebook, Amazon, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, and Google, yeah. and basically the 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 uh, answer is they're all monopolies and they all we've got to do something about it because they're not playing fair. All according right. to the Judiciary Committee report.
0: Well, we're out of time. Uh, join us again next week. Uh, same time on Wednesday afternoon, Global News Review. Uh, Breck Walker, Dr. Breck Walker will be back with us uh, next week. And we will uh, delve into uh, more news again, the International Career Panel uh, tomorrow evening. And we um, uh the usual lineup go to tnwac.org calendar uh, to find out exactly what's coming up we have some great election 2020 uh programs still to come the debate watch party on the 22nd we've got some great speakers for that and debate bingo uh and then a post-debate conversation so uh, check out all that stuff and while you're on the website please sign up as a member of the tennessee world affairs council that's how we're able to pay our zoom bill uh dick uh, thanks uh, so much. We will uh, talk next week. A
1: pleasure. Have a good week.
0: Okay. Take care of yourself.